Welcome, Jurassic fans, to the 143rd episode of your Rather Nerd podcast. I'm Daniel, your host, and now the man who kidnapped Larry so that we could have an episode of our own, Matthew Millen. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How are you doing in this lovely Sunday? Uh, yeah. And I'm not talking about the ice cream. Sure. Oh man, dad jokes. Just what we needed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wonderful. This is quality content right there. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of quality, I hope Larry is uh, enjoying the stay in your basement. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not quite a basement. You see, it's just a hole I dig on uh, <laughs> on the ground in the ground. You know. Yeah. So uh, most of our audience is made up by American people. I, you know, we. Don't quite have a basement around here. We have too long. Yeah, that's not a thing here. Yeah, if you want to be a kidnapper, you gotta be creative. You know, you can't just rely on your local infrastructure. No, no. Or you can build one, but I guess that would be quite expensive. A tiny little bit. Yeah, uh, I'd say so. <laughs> I I guess I never saw. And you probably need authorization from the government because you will probably be messing with the pipes. Oh. And sewage and yeah, wow, that's ridiculous. You can't have a, even your own basement. How nope. are you even supposed to be a kidnapper? For God's sake, ah, life just gets harder and harder. You you watch them? Um, what is the name of the movie? The Barbarian. No, is that the name of the movie? Yeah, it is. It is like a horrifying, it's a pretty cool horror movie. And I know you're kind of into that genre, so I know you like it. Yeah, you probably. What is the name again? The Barbarian. Mm. Try and compensate for my accent and you get what I mean. It's a... Oh, it's a recent movie. It is, yeah. Nice. I'll watch it. Sometime yes. in the week. Do it. Do it. Uh, I, uh, I first heard about it because uh, I listened to this podcast called the Dead Meat Podcast. It's a, a horror movie one. And oh, I just love it. You know, the whole uh, plot line, the stories. Wonderful. Oh, speaking Wonderful. of uh, plot lines, we have our own story that we are reading today, huh? Um, hmm. Should I spoil to you what happened in the last chapter? Uh, please do so. Uh, all right, sure. So, uh, basically, Pak Norwegian, he was trying to help everyone to uh, get back to civilization and escape the island because the Australovenators they were attacking the village, and then uh, he managed to shoot one of the Australovenators and killed it. But then the other one it blew a hole in the wall right beside him, and he didn't have enough time to react and was devoured alive. Oh, poor guy. Simply that, you know. Uh, and, and then uh, as a last glimpse, we look through Dr. King's binoculars to the beach and oh. we see uh, the last standing Australovenator and it is uh, like uh, sniffing, like trying to get a scent in the air and it finds something. It is the beach grave where Anthony Lane had been uh, buried in the sand. Oh, nice. So they're going to devour a corpse? Yes, and then that's the end of chapter 11. (laughs) 
Good, good. I like it. Very well done. Oh, I thank you. And today we are in for a fresh start. Uh, we are reading chapter 12. Oh. Yeah, so Dr. King is not present in this one. It's just Kevin and Lucy. Mm. And a new character that is called uh, Dave Young and also a new character that is called uh, Nathan Alland. So do you want uh, Nathan Alland or Dave Young? Both of them will be present for most of the novel. Hmm. What are the names again? So uh, Dave Young, who is a, a truck driver, and then Nathan Alland, who is a villain. I'll leave the villain to you because I know you will enjoy it. So I'll be the truck driver. Okay. I, I guess we can do a pretty good third accent. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're doing Lottie Spark. I am doing Lucy Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. What my life has become. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I ask myself every day. Have you found well, an answer? Not what your life has become, what my <laughs> life has become. Just so we're clear. Now <laughs> imagine Master just going like, how oh, what has Daniel made out of his life? Look at that, what a loser. <laughs> yeah, look at that. No, poor fella. Man has become a teacher? What? No. What? Nah. <sighs> Terrible. Terrible. Man, Bad choices, kids. Don't do them. <laughs> Don't do drugs or become a teacher. Both are not yep. beneficial at all. Nope. Oh, Lord. All right. Whenever well, you feel like starting, Matt. All righty. Let's go. Chapter 12, A Fresh Start The alarm was going off for the fourth time this morning, but I refused to get out of bed and face another day, another empty day on an uninhabited campus. It has been a few weeks since we arrived from Abundi and Abgi, and I have not seen Lucy or King. The night we left the island, we crossed the waters between the archipelago and reached the coast of New Britain again, without being followed. We lost the herd deep into the jungles, but found Angus survivors in the town of Hoyek, the first sign of civilization on the way. We were discreet when we reached the city, not only because we were outsiders, but also because we knew that a few meters away from the city limits, a whole pack of huge animals had left their tracks. We were well received by those who recognized us as those who had warned them of the impeding danger and we were provided for that night. In the morning, Lucy and I awoke to the surprise that Keen had spent the night conversing with the natives of Amdi and Poyek, which shocked me more than to learn that he spoke the Austronesian language of those people, who had hitherto communicated with us only in our own language. Jacob Keen was cheerful, gesticulating as he listened and gave answers to what he later told us were local legends about huge creatures. I could not conceive the idea that he was capable of smiling. How could anyone have the courage to do this right after we lost two loved ones and found a body? Maybe King is a peculiar man. As for the two of us, there was not a single spark of vibrancy around us. 
we stood in the doorway of the hall, where we encountered the scene I have just described and gave him the same disgusted look with which he condemned our bad table manners. Here, lying in my bed, I remember how easy it was for us to return to civilization because Dr. King used his title, his naturalness, and even his native language to impress many along the way until we reached a stretch of more modern civilization where he could actually draw money. I am afraid that many of those poor men will never be paid. As you may have noticed, we avoided Miriam because we had lost Munep's speedboat, and our new caretaker was afraid that the owner would now keep his promise to beat him up. I finally got up from my comfortable bed, not without effort, and took a few moments to admire the studio next to my tiny room. There were still splashes of yellow from a certain painting I had been doing near lane samples, which had resulted in the small disaster that laid the form. To this day, I remember his horrified expression. He still had an expression back then. If the paint was removed, it would leave a clean-up stain, because all around it, the dust covered our samples with thick layers, much more demeaning than my modest splashes of paint. In any case, these samples would probably be taken elsewhere now, since there was no one left to run the lab and label those large jars and boxes that would never be opened. In fact, I had not even been told where all this material was going, perhaps to some other aspiring cryptozoologist or to Frederick Frost himself, if he had any interest at all. As soon as one left the laboratory, one found a large building in which the lectures were held. And, passing behind the curtains that guarded its back, I found myself on the stage where the end had begun. As I formulated the mental picture of Anthony Lane standing there, giving a speech to a huge bored audience, the creaking of the wood under my feet was a great surprise. I realized now that I had never been on the stage, only in the seats before it. I had never once been the center of attention. I had always just paid attention. Lane was long, no longer there. Not because he wanted, but he still wasn't. I was. Lucy and I were and would become as important as our father had been. I took a step forward then, harder this time. I took a few more steps with the same weight exerted. Nothing. Silence. I remembered that I did not hear creaks when Lane walked across the stage which shows that he also had to make an effort to exert the pressure himself while walking so that the unnecessary noise would not distract the attention of the audience. God, it seems that one requires self-control to be the center of attention. Really. Maybe a little selfishness, too? Now, someone has to be the center of attention. Otherwise, how will there be leadership and order? But I don't want that for myself. I know someone who knows how to exercise her leadership with candor and respect. Maybe I should go visit her. As I reasoned, I realized that for some time now, there had been a faint creaking sound in the back of my mind. As I walked around the stage, stepping heavily and snapping my fingers to try all sorts of ways to attract attention, I failed to notice that there was a man on the same stage, standing still, moving just his foot just enough to cause the discreet noise and get my attention without being abrupt. 
I immediately pulled myself together from my eccentric manners. Good morning, Mr. O'Reilly," said the dean's assistant. "Mr. O'Reilly," I answered him. "Good morning, Mr." Allard, Nathan Allard," the fellow returned. With his hair neatly combed to the right and wearing a suit and sunglasses, the man seemed to force the image of a bodyguard, despite his short stature and the voice that suddenly became high pitched when he did not moderate it. Continued the bouncer. President Frost left today on a trip to Africa and has asked that I give you this card, which belongs to a truck driver, which is due to、uh, arrive around ten to pick up the sample from the lab. He also asked you to help him load the vehicle. Certainly, I replied, taking the card that was offered to me. And my thanks, the little man took his leave with a dramatic nod of his head and left the stage with steps longer than his legs would normally take. With a despondent sigh, I looked through a huge window at the lab across the road, and across the campus, and back at the yellow card, the young, heavy transport. The bold cardboard fragment said, putting it in my pants pocket. I mentally prepared myself for the big job ahead. It was unusual for me to have any documents or belongings in my little pockets, but after carrying my flannel to light the torch in the bundy, I wasn't left with many options. Returning to the lab, I stopped in my tracks and remembered that there was a garden adjoining the east wall. And in the center, among geraniums and jasmines, a pile of never-spread stones. Another prickle in my heart as I remembered who had planned it. I finally entered and concentrated my thoughts on the samples I had to remove and take to the west gate, through which the large vehicles usually entered. Perfect plan, if only Allard or Frost had warned this young guy which gate he should use. By the way, why does the president of a university need an assistant? Whenever I saw that fellow acting, his action comprised delivering errands from Old Frost. It sounded more like an opportunity to have someone to boss around. Carrying the heavy loads alone, I entertained my mind with these questions, mainly to take my focus off the pain caused by the excessive weight. After what seemed like an eternity of going back and forth from the lab to the gate, I let myself fall among the samples. There, among bones, teeth, and shells, I felt the full force of nostalgia. All around me lay the work of a lifetime, a fraction of which I had followed closely. The memory of our adventures together and how much I missed him now brought back the desire to cry. I almost remembered that I had not yet had time to bathe that day. With a quick glance at the clock, I realized that there were fifteen minutes left before the appointed time, which was more than enough. I then abandoned the dusty samples and went to fulfill my hygiene commitment. As I was leaving the laboratory bathroom, I heard the deafening horns of an approaching truck. As no one answered his calls, the truck driver insisted on what was already a commotion. I hurried to reach the west gate before someone reported the police and found the young man still inside the cab, honking his horn. "Hey, buddy!" I shouted, trying to sound louder than the horn, but to no avail. Without hearing me, he continued his uncontrolled obsession until I hit his window. "Hey, you must be Kevin, huh?" Old Frost said you would help me load the truck. 
said the smiling face. Looking at Young's face, it seemed a bit absurd that Frost would want my assistance in the endeavor. The man was as young as I was. In any case, there was work to be done, and I would not stand by just because something did not make sense. Little was heard during the process of loading the samples, apart perhaps from the occasional grunt that Young produced when making the simple effort of lifting a box. Within minutes, we had completed this strenuous operation and were entering the cabin. Once seated in the passenger seat, it was easier to engage in trivial conversation. Frost said that he wrote the address on the card he sent you. On the card? I asked, already rummaging through my pockets for such an object. Picking it up, I found a hastily written message on the back. It read, even though you are a newbie, I'm sure you will be able to get this cargo to the first place to be spotted. Right after it was the scribble of an address where to deliver the valuable cargo. Being called a newbie is mildly offensive, but frankly, not even this should be, since I had no connections with the president. Following the indicated address, we drove along US-1 until we spotted the ordered location. A small wooden and concrete house. Parked in front of the residence, we checked the number again to make sure, and as I opened the door to get out of the truck and go call the owners, I was stopped by the sound of Dave Young's horn cutting through the air like thunder. Do you think they heard it? Asked Young with an irritating, naive expression. You bet. At the house where we were supposed to deliver the samples, finally the window opened too, after all the others. To my surprise, I recognized the face that appeared in it. Lucy? I asked in an audible tone. Leaving the cabin, I approached the house, whose window was already empty again. The door opened with a bang and Lucy Lane came running up and threw herself at me. I was still a bit stunned that we had been brought together again by something so random, but I managed to respond to the tight hug she was giving me. I'm glad you came, Kevin. At that moment, I understood that she had the same feelings that I felt. We were both lost in a new position with a different responsibility. At last, we could help each other and perhaps revive the legacy of Anthony Lane. The legacy? Of course, this is what I had come for. Still hugging her, I murmured. Uh, the cargo in this truck. Frost told us to bring it to you. Letting go, after all, she raised an eyebrow, questioning the cargo's contents. I made a quick gesture with my hand, inviting her to follow me, and opened the trailer doors to reveal its contents. Lab supplies? She asked, tilting her head to the right. Why, yes. All the results of the expeditions, and you were the heir to it all. Whoa! Shouldn't there be an auction of the objects or something? Not without first going through the one person who has the legal right to them. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'll find a way to arrange all these in my house. I'm afraid that's my father's entire legacy. Hey guys, sounded a voice from the other side of the truck. Well, you must be the deceased man's daughter, right? It's a huge pleasure. Um, likewise... So, Dave, shall we roll up our sleeves? I cut in suddenly to end the awkward silence he had caused. 
Despite the lack of sense, I cannot criticize the workforce of my talkative friend. For within half an hour, the three of us had finished, storing the samples in an inconspicuous room whose door opened under the staircase, revealing a large space behind a wall with no openings. Once we had finished the service, we said goodbye to the driver, whom someone might call friendly, and went inside again for lunch. I then scored the surroundings for the one thing that might matter in a house. A library. To my dismay, all I found was a shelf, which did not even hold a large collection of books. On it, which was nothing more than a simple blank board, rested heavy hardcover books. As I approached, I noticed that they were psychology books, and I felt a bitter taste in my mouth. Certainly, the study of the human mind is something extremely complex. At the other extreme are those who, like me, find animals much more interesting than our dramatic species. Finally, I sighed in dismay and turned away from the shelf. After all, she plopped herself down in the armchair she kept centrally in the room, one of those huge books adorning her lap. I believe it was a rare occasion for her to rest like this. The huge quantity of potatoes that for some reason she kept in the pantry reminded me of the recipe for a coconut. My mind turned to the peculiar message on Davian's faded card. Why was it so formal and strange? The first place to be spotted? I am no pirate to be given that kind of command. I realized then that I had a frown on my forehead and took the focus off these problems. There is no point in building a bridge that you will not pass through. I finished making some mashed potato, mixed the scallions and the seasoning, and brought it to the table right away. Lucy stirred the puree with her fork before finally tasting it. But this is amazing. I'm glad you wanted to cook. It's Dr. Lin's favorite. I paused my sentence as I remembered this fact, and we both dropped our cutlery. My carefully prepared dish looked paler and less appetizing now, and we let our eyes drift away from it to look at the floor and remember the time when the man I saw as a father and from whom Lucy descended, was still making his discoveries. The first person to treat me with respect when I arrived in America. And now I was supposed to deal with this inferior type of human being who called me a newbie? Enraged upon remembering the fact, I pulled Young's card from a pocket and glared at that message, perhaps thinking that I would suffer combustion with the sheer force of my mind. What is this? A message that Ross sent me via his truck driver, Dave Young, and in it, he calls me a newbie. A newbie? You see? I complained, shaking one fist as I handed her the card with the other hand. Mm, that's strange. What's strange? He misspelled the word newbie. Look how it is spelled. Newbie. With a capital N and without the E at the end. Receiving the card back from her hands, I noticed that she was right. In fact, the word had been spelled that way. Frederick Frost, the man who had hosted the New Haven Spelling Contest more than once, had committed the heinous crime of misspelling a word? No, there had to be another explanation for the fact, one that made some sense. The first place to be spotted 
the first place I lifted my head suddenly have understood the fact after all. My cell phone had been left in my room again. Since there wasn't much use for it in the remote places our expeditions took us, I never had the opportunity to become a sedentary addict like other young people, but now I saw the need to have it around. May I use your cell phone? I asked, probably still with the sickly expression of someone who had just had an idea. Sure. With the handset in hand and having typed in the number, a few seconds passed before I heard the always cheerful voice of Dave Young introducing his slogan. Young heavy haulage, if it fits, we'll take it. It's Kevin. Any chance you have the number that President Frost used to call you? Well, hello there, partner. I'm sorry, I've already lost the old man's contact among so many callers. But even if I still had it, I don't think it would be very useful. The boss dick, that Aller guy, said that he wouldn't answer anyone where he was going. And why not? Well, although I didn't ask for an explanation, he said that Dean wanted to have some time for himself. Strange thing to say to a guy you were just hiring to transport trinkets, isn't it? I didn't answer, nor did I pay any attention to the offense that was the question itself. I just thanked him and said goodbye. Why this sudden interest in the president? Asked Lucy with a raised eyebrow. Because he didn't misspell the word, and that cargo wasn't supposed to be brought here. What is out there? Or even worse, what is inside you? That's the tagline of our new novel, An Unwanted Discovery, a mystery slash drama written by yours truly, Dan Rodriguez. That's right, it's me, your host. In this book, I tell you the story of a girl who has to boss her way through society, especially after finding herself involved in a series of trips that aim to reveal what should have just remained a secret. Dinosaurs still inhabit this planet. If, like me, you're a dinosaur aficionado and want to have a nice read, check out An Unwanted Discovery on Amazon. Link in the description down below. And now... We are the champions, my friend. Da -da.